Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Pedagogy Non-Grata podcast. I'm really excited to announce that we're doing another roundtable discussion today. This time, we're going to be talking about uh, reading fluency, and we have a pretty all-star panel, and I'm very excited to talk to each and every one of them. I'm going to start off today by reading to you their bios, just because I want the audience to understand that this is a very qualified panel to discuss this matter. Um, the first person I'm going to be introducing is Dr. Timothy Rosinski. And I, for the record, I'm not um, uh, introducing these people in any specific order. Dr. Timothy Rosinski is a professor of literacy education at Kent State University and director of its award-winning reading clinic. He's written over 200 articles and has authored, co-authored, or edited over 50 books or curriculum programs on reading education. He's published numerous best-selling books with teacher-created materials in shell education and has also authored books for Scholastic. His scholarly interests include reading fluency and word study, reading in the elementary and middle grades, and readers who struggle. His research on reading has been cited by the National Reading Panel and has been published in journals such as Reading Research Quarterly, The Reading Teacher, Reading Psychology, and the Journal of Education Research. Dr. Rosinski is the first author of the fluency chapter for the Handbook of Reading Research. He has served as a three-year term on the board directors of the International Reading Association and was co-editor of the Reading Teacher, the world's most readly uh, read journal of literacy education. He's also served as co-editor of the Journal of Literacy Research. Dr. Ryazinski is the past president of College Reading Association, and he won the A.B. Herr and Laureate Award from the College Reading Association for scholarly contributions to literacy education in 2010. Dr. Rosinski was elected to the International Reading Hall of Fame. Prior to coming to Kent State, Tim Rosinski taught literacy education at the University of Georgia. He taught for several years in an elementary and middle school classroom in Title I teacher in Nebraska. And he's also a veteran of the United States Armed Forces. And I will say that I think we are very lucky to have him on this panel in the sense that I think many uh, believe to be Tim to be uh, one of the leading experts in the world on reading fluency. So how could we have a reading fluency panel without his presence? Um, next on my list is Dr. Melanie Kuhn. She is um, faculty chair in literacy for Jean Addison State or Stanley University. She's over a dozen peer-reviewed publications. She specializes in reading fluency, vocabulary, conceptual knowledge, and comprehension, as well as the development of methods that will encourage students to access challenging texts. Her interests lie on the achievement gap for struggling readers. Uh, Bill, Bill Therian, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, Bill, because I've only ever read your last name before. I've never heard it spoken. That's right. Thank okay, you. Bill Therian <laughs> holds the Thomas G. Jewell Professor of Education. He is the coordinator of the research and practice group for the STAR Supporting Trans Transformative Autism Research Project, and it's co-pi for the Special Education Research Accelerator. He's also the co-editor of Exceptional Children, the flagship research journal for the Council of Exceptional Children. Therian has extensive experience designing and evaluating academic programming for students with autism and learning disabilities, particularly in the area of science and reading. His work, Therian enjoys a variety of methods, including single subject experimental and quasi-experimental uh, group research designs. Therian has also conducted numerous meta-analyses in the area of reading and science and special education. And I must admit that was a big part of why I had you on today, um, Bill, because I have cited your meta-analyses on um, fluency instruction on a numer numerous of occasions. Um, and it's one of my favorite papers. Um, yep. uh, Dr. Young-Suk Grace Kim is a Harvard University professor and the Senior Associate Dean at the School of Education, University of California, Irvine. She is a former classroom teacher in San Francisco. Her scholarship focuses on understanding language, literacy development, and effective instruction for racially, ethnically, economic, economically, and linguistically diverse children and helping them build strong foundations to support their success in school and beyond. Her areas of research include oral reading comprehension, reading fluency, listening comprehension, and oral language dyslexia, higher order cognitive skills, written composition, and reading writing relations. 
She has worked extensively with monolingual children from various linguistic backgrounds, including English, Korean, Chinese, Spanish, and Kichwali, and multilingual children in the U.S. Her research has been supported by over $60 million in grants from the Institute of Education Sciences, the U.S. Department of Education, the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, and the National Science Foundation. Her work was recognized by several awards, including the 2012 Presidential Early Career Awards for Science and Engineering by President Barack Obama and the Developing Scholar Award and the Robert uh, Gagne Research Award at Florida State University. She currently serves as the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Scientific Studies of Reading and the Cherry Vocabulary, SIG, for the American Educational Research Association. She serves on the Steering Committee Advisory Board on Board of Directors for several prominent national and international organizations. And I must also admit, um, Dr. Dr. Young, so I have a slight bias here in having you on today and that I have also cited your papers um, many times in my, my book on reading instruction um, and in general teaching. So uh, needless to say, this is a very qualified panel. Actually, if you heard me stuttering at all while I was going through people's bios, it's because when I have to talk to so many people so much more qualified than myself, I get slightly nervous. Um, but I'm very happy that they've come on to the podcast today to share their expertise with the audience. And I'm really happy that we can use this uh, roundtable um, format. Um, I've done a lot of these podcast interviews where I interview individual scholars, and I think the problem with those interviews is they sometimes present science as a linear narrative. And I, I don't know that researchers really view science in that particular way. I think um, we tend to look at it more in terms of probabilities. What what seems to have the strongest evidence? What, what seems to be likely true? Um, and I, I think having a, a roundtable offers us to see where there's consensus amongst qualified researchers such as yourself and to see where there might be some debate. Not that the purpose of the discussion here is to have a debate, but more to find consensus. Um, so as we go through today, there will be questions directed at individuals, but anyone is welcome to, to jump in and share their opinion on the thought after the original person has answered. So without any further ado, I'll jump into our first question, which I believe is for uh, Dr. Rosinski, and that is, what is reading fluency? Great. Uh Thanks, uh, Nate, for adding me to uh, this distinguished group. I, I'm a bit intimidated myself, to be honest. Uh, and so uh, if I stutter a little bit, please forgive me uh, here. Um, what is fluency? It's actually, um, how should I say? Uh, it's been called a bridge, a metaphorical bridge between two major competencies in reading. On one end, we have word decoding or phonics, and at the other end, uh, of course, is a uh, comprehension, the goal of reading. And fluency, it, 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 in a sense, is that bridge. Then to become a fluent reader, kids need to cross that bridge uh, of fluency. One of, one of the things that complicates fluency is that it um, it's actually made up of uh, sub-competencies. And the two major ones that um, I think we all would acknowledge are uh, first of all, automaticity, the ability to recognize words automatically, effortlessly, so that you can devote your attention to uh, that more important part of reading, uh, which is comprehension rather than to the decoding aspect. Um, and the other part is prosody, or I prefer to call it expression. If I think about somebody who's a fluent speaker or reader, uh, it's, it's one who reads with uh, expression uh, or meaning that reflects the uh, uh, expression that re reflects the meaning of the text they're reading or uh, they're they're conveying orally. Um, so th that basically is it. That sense of a, that bridge. Uh, one of the things I I might 
kind of follow up a little bit uh, on your next question. You, I think you asked about whether or not it's science of reading or it belongs in the science of reading. Of course, my answer to that, and I think unanimously we would say, yes, it is. Um, it goes back to the National Reading Panel in 2000, identified fluency as one of those five competencies. Uh, but even before that, I mean, I got into fluency as a teacher, as an intervention teacher back in the early 80s and reading work by Jay Samuels, Carol Chomsky, uh, uh, Peter Shriver talking about this issue of fluency. So it's it's been around a while, but the problem is, and I hope I'm not going off on a, on a tangent here, but um, although it is part of the science of reading, I think it's the, one of the more neglected areas of the science. Uh, if you look at any of these podcasts that have come out recently in the last few years or what uh, 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 blogs on the science of reading, mostly they t tend to focus on, on phonics. And I don't disagree that that's foundational to any reading program, but uh, fluency often gets uh, neglected. And I think uh, uh, one of the reasons you're having this perhaps is to have greater emp uh, uh, emphasis on, on, the, on the importance of reading fluency. So yes, it is science um, and considerable science backs it up, but uh, we need to get the message out more that it's, it's equally important, I think, to, as phonics is. I'm going to open the floor up, although I do want to respond, and I'm going to resist responding as much as possible during this discussion. It's the least qualified person in the room. Uh, would anybody like to respond to to Tim? Melanie? I think I think that um, Tim's made really good points. I think one thing, um, the idea of it being a bridge, it also is more or less developmentally appropriate in terms of instruction. And I think that needs to be um, considered as well. So um, in our reading clinic experience at the University of Georgia and at Rutgers, I found that we had a lot of students um, who were very good decoders, but couldn't make that transition to connected text. So we need to scaffold that, but we can't, we shouldn't think of these pieces as we're only doing this, we're only doing that. We need to think of it more as a holistic process. We're always developing language. We're always working on word recognition. We're always trying to help our kids become fluent, different, um, different emphasis on fluency at different points of time. Dr. Yangsu. Yes, um, so thank you. Um, I. Just want to add to one clarification piece because when people typically think of, when people think about fluency, I always emphasize we're talking about text reading fluency. We're talking about text level skill. I think this is a very important clarification in terms of theory and even measurement because mm -hmm. you see studies confounding text reading fluency with word reading fluency. But theoretically, the fact that we're talking about bridge is because it's a text reading skill and it bridges with text reading comprehension, which is text comprehension. It bridges with the lower level reading skill, which is word reading, as well as other skills that, you know, Melanie and Tim, Tim you're talking about connections with other skills, right? So this text reading fluency is built upon other skills and therefore they're all interconnected and it, it connects to comprehension. So 
you know, uh, just a clarification that when we talk about reading fluency, we're talking about text reading fluency. Yeah, uh, I, I just want to say I agree with everything that everyone has said. Um, and just sharing that teach the teacher perspective for, for 30 seconds, if I may, and the, the perspective of someone who's been really interested in the debate on the science of reading for a long time. I think the debate around phonics has been important, but at the same time, I do think it sucked the energy out of the room um, to the point where it makes it seem like it's more important than it is. Um, and that's not to say that phonics isn't important. I think it'd be tough to find a, a bigger advocate phonics than myself, but at the same time, um, if I if I had to to look at many phonics programs out there, one of my biggest criticisms would be a lack of fluency instruction. Um, and in my own classroom, I have seen as a teacher fluency instruction being one of the things that has made the biggest dif uh, difference in improving my students' reading. So I'm very happy that we're doing this panel today. Um, I'm going to move on to the next question, and that is for uh, Melanie. And that is actually Bill. Uh, just, Bill I, just apologize. Apologize. I didn't see your hand up, Bill. One note related to the to the definition that Dr. Rosinski said that I think people often don't think about is uh, when they think about reading fluencies, they often think of automaticity. They, they don't think about prosody or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, reading with expression. Uh, and so that's kind of a critical missing part of the, the definition that's certainly there that I, you know, I hope we come back to when we talk about interventions as well as uh, its importance. Super. I, I've been guilty of that myself, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Is reading fluency being adequately addressed in schools, Melanie? That's a really hard question. When I saw that question, I thought, I don't want to say no completely. And at <laughs> the same time, I can't say yes. So I'd like to think about it in terms of um, people who are watching, if they think, if they're thinking about their students. And if their students are, and I, I don't mean this in a round robin reading way, but if their students are engaging in 20 to 30 minutes a day of connected text reading, then you're probably adequately addressing fluency. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of ways to do it. It doesn't have to be all, I mean, Tim and um, Chase Young have some great shorter activities um, my research with Steve Stahl, we have some longer activities. There's lots of ways to um, sort of tackle it. But if you're not spending that time with the connected text reading, obviously for your younger students, the um, connected text reading is done by the teacher, but sort of by the end of first grade, they need to be taking it on themselves. And that's going to allow them to make that shift from strictly decoding, figuring out those words, which, you know, when you're a first grader, that whole automaticity piece, you're still figuring out those um, words and you're slow. And Gene Shaw used to call it being glued to print. And as you become more fluent, you have more smoothness, you're more expressive, you're also because of that automaticity, able to focus on um, attending to the meaning. So if you're doing those things to support in a scaffolded way, not sort of putting a child in a corner and saying it's independent reading time, but if you're having them work in a supported scaffolded way, then yes, I think you are. So that would be something I'd want teachers to ask themselves because that, that 
connected text reading is key, whether it's in a content area, whether it's in a um, reading class or whether it's in um, English language arts, that's how you, I think, make that connection. I couldn't agree more. Does anybody would like, would anybody like to add to that? We um, very quickly, a couple of years ago, we did a survey of primary grade teachers around the country. Uh, we asked them, how much time do you, do you devote to different aspects of reading? We tried to build it around, you know, the the big five, we call it, you know, phonics, influence, phonemic awareness, and so on. What we found was that generally, whether it was K through three, I believe it was, uh, there was twice as much time devoted to phonics and word study as to reading fluency uh, across the board. So as, as you mentioned, Melanie, yeah, it's being addressed, but not to the extent that that it needs to be. I, I don't know that anyone would agree that that's a, an ideal proportion. Right. Um, uh, okay, but so- can I, can I throw in, one of the reasons I think it is, I'm sorry to be interrupting here, oh, but okay. people often argued to me that in the primary grades, you need to build that foundation of phonics, then you move on to fluency. And I, we get locked into this mechanistic uh, hierarchy of skills. I think that fluency, and I think we all agree with, with that, could be can be nurtured as as early as uh, kindergarten, even perhaps before. Uh, so we got to get out of that notion that it ha is a you know a step by step uh, progression. You know, um, I definitely am guilty of of thinking it was a step by step progression in the past and. So I'm working on a second edition of my book on reading right now, and that's a change I'm making is is trying to address that no, we can work on these skills in in coordination. But it is a it is an interesting question. And I'm sure that the proportionality can change as we have students progress through the ages. I wouldn't want to see a lot of word work, say in a grade seven, eight classroom. I would want to see much more fluency in a grade seven, eight classroom. Um, does anyone want to add to that? Because I, I do think it's a really interesting point that wasn't in our list of questions. Well, uh, in that case, uh, Melanie, would you like to talk, talk us through some of the ways we can help students improve their fluency? Yeah, I think there's, again, there's just so many ways, and I think it's so important to think about it in multiple ways. With some students, you really want to do repetition. So you want to have um, short texts. Um, you know, 100 words seems to be the general um, range. I think it's a hundred words because it's, it's, um, easy to do math with. And you have those traditional repeated readings where your reading rate is going up and your miscues are going down. Um, so that's a great approach. Um, it's time intensive for the teacher. So if you can think about other ways of doing that, so we have partner reading, we have repeated partner reading, um, we also have a couple of approaches that use both repeated or wide reading. And so Steve Stahl um, came up with this approach called Fori. And then we, when he and I did a review, we saw that the kids in uh, many of the studies who were reading connected text without repetition were making similar gains to the kids who were reading with repetition the same amount of time. So um, we have come up with a couple of approaches, both whole class and small group, where you can read widely on a topic or you can read, so read multiple texts on the same topic, or you can read um, 
a single text multiple times. And I think one of the things with doing that connected text, as, as other people were saying, um, it's helping students consolidate their word knowledge as well as develop their fluency. So you're working on that automaticity, the accuracy, and the prosody pieces all within this repetition or this wide reading. Yeah, I, I would say one nice thing about uh, fluency instruction is that it's very easy to integrate other components in, especially vocabulary and comprehension. Um, Bill? Uh, it's, yeah, so I um, just to kind of build off of that point, you know, regarding whether repetition is needed when we're thinking about uh, increasing reading fluency. And there really is no data out there to show that repetition is needed. You know, there are studies that show wide reading. Uh, can be just as effective. And I think the important thing to think about, and I'm thinking about students that, are, that, that struggle with learning to read, mm -hmm. is they need that feedback piece. That's what they need. And Dr. Kuhn mentioned kind of aggregating the, the sight words or, or word automaticity. And, and that's really where the difference is made. So it's really that feedback piece um, that tends to be very important for, for efficacious uh, fluency instruction. So I think that's important to, important to keep in mind. Okay, Nick, so you work on repetition yourself, uh, did some meta-analysis. Would you want to share any of that? Uh, uh, no, I, I, did you say Nate? Because I, I actually, I cited Bill in uh, Young's work on it because they both studied it. So I'd rather let them speak to it than speak to it. Um, so that actually brings me actually to my next question, which is for Bill. What types of instruction have the greatest evidence of efficacy for fluency, and what is that evidence? Sure. So um, I think the first thing when you're thinking about evidence is evidence for who on what measure, right? So that's kind of really uh, the biggest concern when we think about it. So who is, you know, who are the, who are students for which uh, fluency instruction would be important? I think we've kind of talked about that in a traditional sense as we're kind of transitioning uh, from uh, um, phonics instruction to fluency to comprehension. But students that are kind of in that range, whether they're whether they're your traditional first and second grade students, all the way up to students that with disabilities but maybe are reading with that range, I, I feel like traditional fluency instruction can be, can be uh, successful and important for them. Now on what, uh, you know, oftentimes you'll see studies that will look at fluency instruction and it will be how much faster uh, is this individual getting on the passage that's actually reread? Let's say if they're doing uh, repeated reading, I don't. I don't find that evidence to be too compelling. Uh, I don't think we engage in fluency instruction to get better on just a particular passage. Uh, and then there's uh, studies that look at it on novel passages or on curriculum-based measured passages. That seems to be pretty the place where we should really be targeting fluency instruction. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's some that look at it, you know, for a reading comprehension uh, as well. And, you know, we see less or no impact on that. So um, I would say uh, um, things that have the most efficacy is, uh, is repeated reading. If you look at that curriculum-based measures, However, there haven't been that many studies out there that have kind of looked at that wide reading uh, and the importance of that. And I would just say, uh, when it comes to fluency instruction, particularly for students with struggle, they need that feedback, at least on word errors, um, mm -hmm. uh, in order for us to see improvements. Um, is, was there anyone who'd like to respond to that? Uh, if, if, if the audience can bear with me responding again, I, I feel like I'm talking too much, but 
this is something that's that's come up quite a bit is it does that you, you talked about um studies that use the cold reading sorry the hot reading as they they so to speak where they they look at the same um text and see if it improved it versus looking at a, a novel text and call it regards cold reading and sometimes i've seen it called um i've seen some people criticize that and say that there's no research to support the idea that there's any sort of transfer effect for repeated reading but uh i, I do believe that you your research and and dr young sook's research has uh, sort of um shown different towards that what are and i'd love to make that question out to both of you what are your your thoughts on this issue so i mean i think this is an interesting question so you know if you think about their theory right so let's think about theory so the theoretical foundation for text reading fluency is automaticity and word reading and also the reason why text reading fluency is different from word reading fluency is because text reading fluency taps into some level of comprehension, not the entire deep comprehension, but some level of shallow comprehension. That's why it's a different, you know, very strongly related with the word reading, but in you know, a differentiated construct from word reading fluency, right? So having that as a foundational uh, you know, skill for, you know, text reading fluency, then instructional approach that promote that automaticity in word reading and of course some level of comprehension of course would support text reading fluency and ultimately reading comprehension and then we, if you think about then what are ways to promote automaticity for example what is it it's a practice right so practice students need to practice reading words and repeated reading i think you know that you mentioned uh, bill is an important mechanism of providing structured and meaningful exposure to print and words. Now, I think you're asking about the transfer effect. I took it as two ways. The one that we've been talking about, which is um, uh, whether you know there's an improvement in text reading fluency of unpracticed text or novel text. Sorry, improvement in practice text, right? For example, rate and accuracy is expected and not surprising. Now, the question is, does that does repeated reading, for example, improve um, text reading fluency skill as a skill in general, uh, so that its effect is found in unpracticed or in unseen or novel text, right? Another aspect of transfer that I thought about is then it's a transfer uh, effect on reading comprehension. Theoretically, text reading fluency is a predictor of reading comprehension and therefore, improvement in um, text reading fluency would translate to improvement in reading comprehension at least to some extent. So I think, you know, if we look at Bill's uh, earlier meta-analysis in 2004, uh, your work did reveal transfer effects on text reading fluency. Of course, that, you know, effects were much larger on uh, the, the practice text, right? But then, you know, there was an effect size of 0 0.50 on unpracticed or novel text. And there was an effect size of 0.25 on reading comprehension. It's smaller as expected, but there is an effect, right? And other studies after that uh, meta-analysis have also continued to show um, the existence of transfer effects. And there's a recent uh, meta-analysis on uh, students with the reading disabilities, and this was conducted by Lee and Yoon in 2017. 
they also reported transfer effect in text reading fluency. They didn't look at reading comprehension outcome. And what they found was um, an effect size of 0.77. Again, that's on the novel text. The effect on practice text was much larger. It was 1.94. But the effect of 0.77 on novel text, it's actually not ignorable. It's actually huge, right? So right. students who did better in text reading fluency when measured by novel text, they also did better, right? So they also... Um, so then, you know, like when I look at, look at these pieces, it seems that there is a transfer effect, right? So repeated reading improves text reading fluency and reading comprehension, not only on those practice texts, but also on practice text. Mm -hmm. um, the other piece, you know, theoretic, which makes theor theoretical sense is the effect sizes are smaller in reading comprehension because Reading comprehension is much broader construct, right? So then it requires more than just text reading fluency. And so therefore that makes sense. Um, you know, one other piece that I think you might have mentioned that Bill, I think you mentioned this, um, is that studies on text reading fluency and repeated reading, for example, um, a lot of them focus on text reading fluency as the outcome, but much fewer a much more limited number of studies looked at the, its effect on reading comprehension. And so there's many more, like there's a greater need on that um, aspect. Yeah, what, yeah wonderful. You know, when I'm, when I'm thinking about theory and you're thinking about how these fluency interventions work and we're kind of talking about, uh, you know, at the word level, um, you said there was a, gosh, I, I wish I could remember the authors, but it's an older study that kind of looked at transfer on a very micro level. I think it was, the levy, and I, I can try to find the study. But anyways, they looked at passages, four different passages, passages, an initial passage and a second passage that had a high degree of overlap and maybe, uh, mm -hmm. maybe, uh, and ones where they had a lower degree of overlap and they did not see that transfer effect. So, it, um, and when we think about fluency as an intervention, we're thinking of that instructional reading level where students are really still learning high frequency words. Mm -hmm. So I would call it um, happenstance word overlap that's happening with these passages that are at the first and second grade instructional reading level. And then uh, Dr. Scott Ardawan uh, out of the University of Georgia has done a lot of eye tracking work with fluency and where he's seeing the, where the increases in fluencies coming from passage to passage in a repeated reading intervention is typically at the word level, right? So when we get up to students that are reading at fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth grade level, it's not that you can't do fluency work, and I, I think you can, but they're, they're, they're not likely transferring knowledge of words or becoming more automatic with words in this passage and going to another one because they already know all the high frequency words. So, uh, you know, I do think it's you know it's typically at it's typically at the word level where we're seeing that particular transfer, um, and so if you're in, engaged in very highly effective fluency instruction and you're at the right instructional level and you're giving uh, children feedback at least on word errors, hopefully also also on proper expression, right? Hopefully also including a comprehension component so they know why they're actually reading it and they're not just trying to plow through it. Uh, that's where we're going to see the greatest effect. Any any response to that, young sir? Yeah, I think that's a really great point. You know, but if you look at studies like Badazi, right, and her colleagues in two thousand eight, you know, both the 
struggling readers and you know typical readers you know like they examined the effect of quick reads and the external measures were not quick reads passages right they used uh you know other uh um kind of a standardized measures and they did i'm sure there are a lot of overlap on like high frequency words right um so I think that's a really interesting question. Like that, requires. So what they found was their effects. They found the effects of you know this specific program called Quick Quiz. They found the effects on uh, students' word reading, right? Like uh, you know out of context word reading, as well as you know previously unseen you know standardized uh, measures of text reading fluency, as well as reading comprehension. So. But I guess what we are asking here and raising here is really what is the exact mechanism of improvement, right? And then what level of proficiency and kind of what kind of words do they need to be exposed? And I think this is also related to build the effects you and other colleagues and other people have found about wide reading versus repeated reading. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I'm also curious. Um, as kids get older, we're seeing they may they're less likely to see many words. You know, we know that the um, number of times that they're going to read a word in a million is going to drop. But you're going to have something like maintain and maintenance, or if you're working in science and you're working that particular week on readings about the solar system. That's going to ensure that, and, and that's one of the things we did with um, my most recent study. We worked on theme topics in social studies. And so although, the again, the comprehension measures weren't immense, um, there was the chance for the students to see certain words like statue and foundation when we talked about the Statue of Liberty. Um, they saw those words over and over again. And so I think if we're intentional in our teaching, that we can increase that. And that might help with the older students' fluency as well. Although that is something that's just, I'm throwing that out as a possibility rather than something that's been researched. It's something I, I, I can't, oh, sorry, Dr. Rostinsky, go ahead. <laughs> okay, sorry, uh, interrupt. Um, fascinating conversation here, um, and I'm going to make it a little bit more complicated, too. I mean, when you think about the whole nature of repeated reading, uh, a couple things come to my mind beyond what we've been chatting about already. First is text difficulty. Um, what What is the level of the text that we ask kids to read repeatedly? Uh, typically, you know, especially if you're working with struggling readers, uh, the conventional wisdom is to give them something that is at their instructional or or even their independent level because they're struggling readers. But I go back to some work that uh, Steve Stahl did. Um, I, Melanie, I think you were perhaps involved in that uh, with second grade kids in Georgia who were struggling readers. And what he found, what, what they found, I guess I should say, is the great, great uh, across the board, the students made um, gains uh, with the repeated readings, but the, the greatest gains were when the, when the material they were asked to read was at their frustration level. Mm. And, you know, that, that kind of flies in the face of what we've been teaching our students for years. Don't give kids material that's going to frustrate them. But what the way he, he explained it um, was that 
in the repeated readings, the kids are getting additional support uh, mm -hmm. from the teacher, from the practice effect, and that allowed them to accelerate their progress in reading. Uh, so it's kind of interesting that that you know is is something I had never thought about before, but now I, I'm pretty much convinced of that. Uh, the other thing before I give it over to you, Mel, is the, the notion of what kind of text we have kids read. Um, typically, I think in many of the programs, kids are in these the commercial programs, uh, it's either narrative or expository text, which is is fine. But I found that um, I'm looking for kinds of texts that are meant to be read with expression, uh, to be performed. And if they're meant to be performed, they have to be rehearsed. And of course, that's another name for repeated reading. And I've been drawn more and more to texts such as poetry, uh, song lyrics, uh, readers, theater scripts, uh, kind of the old school material. But uh, we've actually found that kids make remarkable progress with that, that kind of material. So, you know, there's there a lot of variables at play in, in this um, in this conversation. And, and readers theater just had a, a meta-analysis out this last year that showed promising effects. It's a very yeah. small meta-analysis, but the effects I just found were very large. Yeah. And I, I just want to say I have also um, found poetry particularly helpful for kids for uh, repeated readings. Yeah. And I just want to say the, the study with Steve, um, and that's the one we we scaled up with our, our big grant. Um, it's I think it's really critical two things that are really, really critical is is the material was challenging, but the students had either through the wide reading or through the repetition had the support of hearing the text, repeating the text through echo reading. It wasn't, again, it, it's, it's so important. If you're going to ask students to read things that are at the far end of their zone proximal development, then you need to ensure that they're having the support. And even Carol Chomsky's work way back in the 76, 78, her work, they used um, books on tape um, and, and that the tapes were, the oral readings on tape were what provided the students with the scaffolding. So it's not just leaving them on their own to try to struggle through that challenging material, it's giving them the help to help get them there. Yeah, I, I would echo that, you know, providing that model. If you're going to use uh, more difficult text, providing that model. And and boy, if it could be expressed in full reading as well, and providing that as a model is, I think, is a phenomenal idea. Um, you know, one, one question that comes to mind that I didn't have in our question list, and I, it, you sort of all hinted at it at times, is, is when is fluency work important? And I think as as Tim has sort of suggested, and I think recently Shanahan has pointed this out too, that um, we likely need some level of fluency work at all grades, I would think. But there also seems to be a time when we would get a bigger bang for a buck. In in my personal experience, when and you see people say this all the time, I have a student they can decode, but they decode really really slow, um, and they don't read with automaticity. And in my mind, that's the perfect time to really hammer fluency instruction. I'm curious as so what other people think about that. So I saw Melanie nodding her head. Maybe she would like to respond. Um, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think, um, and traditionally, you know, if you think about it um, in the stages model, that's second grade when they're, get, when they're getting that decoding in place and they're becoming fluent. 
um, building that automaticity, building that prosody. I also think um, we're more or less, we're all more or less fluent at various points in time, depending on what we're reading. So when I'm reading, if I'm reading a um, article in the reading teacher, for example, I can handle that now much better than I could when I was a master student. And it's easier for me to read because I have an understanding. Um, I'm more able to read a research article than I could when I start my doctoral program. But if you gave me a research article in chemistry, I'd be back to square one the way I was as. So, um, and I think the second point is always to think of, we, we because we measure fluency orally, we think of it as an oral um, reading issue, but it really is a silent reading issue as well. And so, um, you know, we might find that some of our older students, and I think Tim has this, Tim Shanahan has this great example of his daughters were reading, um, trying to read content material the way they read narrative material and having real difficulties. And so it's, it's something the fluency is different. The prosody is different. The way we're handling the material, you have to stop and think more. And there's nothing wrong with stopping and thinking. You know, it's not, we don't have to go to the end before we comprehend. We have to make sure we're comprehending. So these are multiple pieces that have to be, that we have to think about that in our instruction is, are we just teaching students to read through because that's not what we want. Are we teaching students to just read fast because that's not what we want. We want to, you know, think about the purposes behind our lessons and um, work with our students where they are. So that might be the struggling readers might need the fluency work that is traditional for second graders. Um, it's, it's a lot more complicated than saying, excuse me, than saying, you know, our second graders all need fluency and then they're going to be fine. Yeah. Um, so moving on from this topic, although I feel like we could unpack this topic for another hour if we had the time. Um, and Tim, are there any types of fluency instruction that you would not recommend uh, teachers implement in their classroom? Uh, sure. Um, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is um, the timed readings, uh, the emphasis where teachers get out the stopwatch every day and lead kids to try to read faster than the day before. Um, you know, to me, I, I call that fake fluency. Uh, we want kids to read faster, but we want them to develop that speed the way all of us became fast readers, which is we practice a lot. We read a lot. Uh, yeah. But I, I still remember a couple of years ago, we had two second graders show up at a reading clinic and we had them read uh, a, a grade level passage. And both of them asked uh, the clinician working with them, uh, am I supposed to read this as fast as I can? And I, I was just struck by that. You know, where is that coming from, That all that emphasis on speed uh, uh, there? It, it, I like to say it's a reflection. Speed is a reflection of automaticity, but it's it's not the same thing. Uh, and so we don't improve it by working on speed. So that would be my number one uh, concern. Is, is there anyone else who shares that concern or um, maybe even disagrees? 
Um, I, I would I would say you know when we think about uh, when we're working with children, you know they they learn pretty quickly what we're what we're looking for, whether we tell them that or not, yeah. right? So yeah. if they're engaged in fluency work and speed is the only thing that's concerned, that's probably why they asked you that question because they that's what they were doing. So that's oftentimes we're providing providing some kind of a prompt, whether you're, whether you're seeing whether they can get faster in a typical repeated reading sense or or um, you know, you're just having them read for comprehension, letting them know what, what you're looking for, modeling mm -hmm. it, letting them know what you're looking for, provide reinforcement related to, to all aspects of, uh, of reading. Cause right. kids are, kids are pretty good at, at figuring out what their teachers want and giving it to them. So if it's just speed, they'll plow through it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like using a, a rubric uh, where you assess kids on a variety of dimensions of fluency. So they get a sense for you know, uh, phrasing, pacing, volume when they're reading orally, those things. So they, they see the more complex nature of what fluency is. Well, I, I think we're almost getting into assessment here because, and I, I will admit, I was turned off by the idea of repeated readings the first time I heard about them because the first time I was introduced to repeated readings, it was it was told that people were timing them and that it was important to time them to make sure that they, they got faster. And that idea always seemed very off-putting to me. Um, but then, you know, we have uh, fluency assessments like Dibbles, which are based on speed. And I, I will admit, I really like Dibbles. But whenever I administer a Dibbles test to a student, I always say to them, for the purpose of this test, because we're we're comparing you to a percentile, we have to do this as a time. So you should be trying to read quickly. However, when you read normally, that is not the goal. So this is not about a form of instruction. I'm not trying to teach you to read faster. I'm only assessing you based on your speed in this moment. So I try to make that caveat to my students. You look like you have some thoughts on that, actually, Tim. I can see it in your your eyes. No, I, I, I when we administer things like the oral reading fluency, uh, we should be able to be administering them in the same way that the uh, the norms were developed. Mm -hmm. And my sense was that we, we, kids were asked to read, do their best reading, not their fastest. But I, I may oh. I may be incorrect on that. I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, well, you know, one thing, you know, thinking about assessment and thinking of things like dibbles and oral reading fluency, I mean, it, that is highly correlated to to uh, academic achievement in reading. So yeah. when fluency, automaticity, this the speed aspect, it's not that that's unimportant. You know, fluent readers, they don't read as fast as they can, but they, you know, they they read at a good pace right. making errors, obviously. And when we think about fluency and so we have proper expression and we have accuracy, but really what's over overrun by that is speed, basically, right? As far as when we're when we're when we're calculating, let's say correct words per minute. So it is good, it is a good measure, but you I don't see an intervention where you're you're having students just plow through the passage. I feel like anytime a teacher is working with a student, it's and, and they're not trying to focus on comprehension, at least partly, it's a missed opportunity for showing them the reason why we read to begin with. Yep. I agree with that. I think, you know, one of the things also, you know, when we think about reading fluency, especially in the context of oral reading fluency for instruction or especially in assessment, you know, that when you take out the prosody piece, because it's, you know, a lot of times it's not assessed in the school settings, I that efficiency aspect of it i know that it's a lot for a lot of teachers it's a turn off it's um doesn't have face validity mm. as much however 
one thing that I recognize and then would like to point out is that there's a really solid theoretical background on that and there's really solid empirical evidence for that. And so it's not that students can intentionally really, you know, speed up when they cannot, right? They cannot simply just, you know, for the sake of the request of the assessor, they cannot simply all of a sudden read accurately and fast, <laughs> right? And some may be motivated by that, you know, by their request, but that does not mean that they can all of a sudden out of nowhere that they can gain that skill, right? So I just want to make sure that, you know, if and whoever is listening to this should not approach the assessment of, you know, text reading efficiency as, you know, invalid. There's really solid evidence of how strongly that is related to yeah. comprehension. Yeah, and I, and I think sometimes you know teachers are so engaged with instruction. Sometimes they have you know have difficulty putting that wall and be like, okay, this is assessment time now. We're doing oral reading fluency assessment, and that and that's okay. That's what that time's for, um, in order to see you know the the child's oral reading fluency. And when we think about curriculum based measures and we think about them within reading, oral reading fluency is probably and I would let Young chime in on this was probably uh, the best measure we have for in, in general. Yeah, you, you know, so we did a uh, recent uh, meta-analysis, actually revise and resubmit right now. <laughs> so it's under review and hopefully we'll see. Um, we did find, uh, um, so we did meta-analysis looking at the relation between text reading fluency and reading comprehension and whether the magnitudes differ by, by several factors such as orthographic depth and grade level and et cetera. So what we found is that uh, the correlation between text reading fluency here, what we mean is actually text reading efficiency, looking at speed and accuracy together. We actually looked at separately accuracy versus rate versus efficiency together. The strongest one was efficiency. Hmm. And what we found was a correlation of 0.73 for children in primary grades, 0.69 for children in upper elementary, and then middle school is 0.59, high school is 0.54, and 0.44 for adults in um, college. That's but deep orthography. So those who learn to read in English and other you know, uh, languages with deep orthographies. But in shallow orthographies, not surprisingly, the relations are weaker, right? In primary grades, it's similar. So it's like 0.69 in primary grades. But in upper elementary, it's 0.52. In deeper, it was 0.69. You can see huge drop, right? And in middle school is 0.42, huge drop. So I think, you know, I don't know the listeners of this, you know, when, whether they're gonna be mostly English, speak, you know, teachers teaching in English or not, but I think that's one of the pieces um, that I, we found interesting. Does anyone have any any thoughts on that? I would just say I, you know, I was fortunate enough to do uh, a few studies uh, in a minor role uh, with uh, individuals who were deaf with reading fluency, where they actually would sign the words um, with uh, Dr. Barbara Shermer, uh, and we found that was those were the only set of studies where I actually saw increases in in distal measures of comprehension. And so, uh, you know, so these kind of fluency, when we think about who can benefit from it, 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 it's, it can be pretty broad. So, 
I, I, it's something I've noticed while, while looking through um, studies on this topic is there seems to be very strong correlation between fluency and comprehension. But when I look at studies that try to improve fluency and then measure comprehension, I see a weaker uh, result. And I'm, I'm curious, uh, before I go to our final question here, if anyone has any thoughts as to why it seems to be difficult to improve comprehension through fluency. Well, I think uh, you know, Sue mentioned um, that comprehension is a broader um, competency. It's more than just reading fluency. So um, it, fluency does contribute to comprehension, but it's in a, in a sense a bit diluted because of the other aspects of it. But I, I will mention that more recently, I've been working with uh, Chase Young uh, using reader's theater as an approach to repeated readings. And we've been finding pretty robust improvements in terms of comprehension uh, uh, oh, as a result of doing this on a regular basis. Yeah. Are you going to publish a study on that? We've actually published several. Oh, you have? I, oh, take I, a look at that. I'll get those out to you. Thank you. So I'm going to go to my, my final question. This is for everyone. So I'll just ask one at a time. Um, what would be your best advice uh, for teachers in terms of um, teaching reading fluency? And I'll start, I'll just go left to right um, so that it doesn't appear I'm giving any sort of preference here. So uh, Young Su, uh, could you start us off by giving your best advice to teachers? Uh, thank you. So I would say, um... You know, we know that our students' areas of strength and growth are not uniform. So I would say it's critical to develop an understanding of your students' needs in reading and using assessment data. I say this because not all students need or are ready for reading fluency or text reading fluency instruction, right? So some will be just ready. And I think we were kind of touching upon that earlier. Some will benefit more on foundational literacy skills about like reading and immersion literacy skills, right? And you can, does not mean that you will exclude completely text reading instruction. But you know, where do you spend more time? Or others might benefit more comprehension instruction, right? So one thing that I always uh, would like to emphasize is, you know, we're making informed instructional decisions based on assessment data so that we can support all students for the successful reading development. And I don't think this is specific for text reading fluency, but it's actually kind of across for all different sub-skills of reading skills. Melanie, what is your best advice to teachers? Um, well, two things. I want to say, um, add on to what um, Young Sook said um, there, because when we did our interventions, we found that students who didn't have a lot of the fundamental um, word recognition skills, they didn't benefit from the fluency instruction. And they were really the only ones in the class who didn't, the second graders we worked with. Um, so, and more recently with third graders, it's it's very important what you're saying um, that you know your students and you know where your students are, you know, and you know where your students, what your students need. Um, I've had people say to me, sometimes people um, students present as readers and they aren't readers. But when you have second graders who are reading or even first graders who are reading, they don't need to work on fluency. They probably don't need to work on phonemic awareness either. 
Um, so know your students. I think that's great, great advice. My second um, piece of advice would be that make sure you spend time reading connected text um, with support, with some kind of scaffolding. I think that's so critical with your learners, whether they've been, um, whether they're sort of developmentally at that transition point whether they're older struggling readers. Again, we have seen such amazing growth with struggling readers who had all the pieces, but weren't able to put them together. And when they worked on connected text reading, they made, they just sort of took off. It was all there just ready to roll. And, and that really helped them a lot. Um, so if you can spend 20 to 30 minutes with your students in some kind of um, situation, whether it's in, you know, science text or social studies text or reading class, that they're actually doing some supported scaffolded reading with you, that can make a huge difference in their fluency abilities. Okay. Uh, Tim? Um, yeah, a, a great advice already. Um, what I, what I, what this made me think about was make make uh, reading fluency a, a regular routine in your classroom. Uh, I know a lot of teachers who have done things like reader's theater, but they do it like during right to weed week, week or something to that effect. Now try to make it a, a regular consistent routine that, that uh, students can build off of um, might, might be a weekly reader's theater script that kids would uh, be introduced to on Monday, rehearse Monday through Thursday, perform on Friday. Uh, it could be something like uh, having a daily poem or daily song that you'd sing chorally in the primary grades. Uh, just this week, we're recording this during uh, Martin Luther King Day. And one of the things I've been sending out to some of the teachers I correspond with are uh, famous quotes and segments of speeches by Dr. King and having kids practice and perform that. Uh, read it with that meaningful expression that uh, Dr. King was famous for. Uh, perhaps it could be uh, uh, the the Forey uh, instruction that Melanie talked about or the fluency development lesson that I've had a hand in developing. But whatever it is, make it a regular routine. Uh, don't just make it something we do when it's, uh, you know, we have extra time to work on fluency. It has to be an integral part of the curriculum as much as phonics is. So that would be my, my best advice. I, I really agree with that. And before I let He'll speak. And I, I know admit he has the hardest job going last because everyone's taking a lot of good answers. <laughs> um, this this year, as a, I'm a classroom teacher, and this year is the year I've really prioritized fluency more than any other year the most. And it also happens to be the year I've seen the greatest progress with my students on reading assessments. But I don't I really don't think it's a, co a coincidence. I think that's the main reason. Um, so, Bill, uh, your turn. I, I apologize. Everyone took all the good answers. Yeah. To deal with that. <laughs> I think I think where I'll, I'll, I'll focus my um, feedback is when we're thinking about you know students that are really struggling, students with learning disabilities, those that maybe provide intervention services, whether it's repeated reading or some kind of intervention related to that. Um, you know, first and foremost, remember the mechanism in order for there to be improvement, and that is feedback, hopefully from a teacher or from a very very competent peer. They need to be trained very well or even a paraprofessional, that, that's number one. Number two, if you're gonna be spending that one-on-one -on -one time and you're gonna be doing something like repeated reading, um, you know, make sure that you're getting, you're focusing on other aspects of proper expression, comprehension as well. Uh, so provide a prompt, you know, model the reading for them, 
provide a prompt. Tell them what you want. You know, I want to, I want to, I want you to, you know, work on your speed and your accuracy, but also your proper expression. But also keep in mind, we're going to talk about this passage. I'm going to see, you know, see what you learn from it. Uh, think about if you're going to have someone reread, and this this is more from my personal experience working with students who are rereading the passages. You know, you don't want something that's going to require them to read it seven, eight, nine, ten times in order to see that improvement. At least I, I got that little feeling pit in my uh, in my stomach, being like, I cannot ask this child to read this passage again. Really needs to be at a level where you know they have some difficulty the first time. But the second and the third time, wow, they really improve, right? So we're we're giving these students that have struggled and failed and failed, say, hey, look how look how much you're improving. You could graph it as, as well. Work on that comprehension component. Provide them uh, feedback on word errors, but also on proper expression, and then measure whether this is making a difference. Use oral reading fluency and and ensure that that's such a valuable time when someone's working one with a child. Make sure that you're. You're, um, you're using or reading fluency or, uh, or a typical similar measure to make sure that they're actually making improvements. Um, and it, it can make a big difference. Wow. Well, I really want to thank everyone for their time today. I, I learned a ton and I was thinking about whether or not I should try to summarize what you guys just said. And I thought I'd rather people consider even watching this a second time, um, going back to the value of repeated reading. I, I think... <laughs> Um, there, there might be enough information in this video to watch a second time. I might um, go back and watch it a few times myself. I really learned a lot uh, speaking to all of you. And I'm really grateful that all of you chose to come on this podcast today and share your knowledge with um, my audience. And I hope that teachers find something useful to take into their own classroom from this discussion. Um, and I also want to just say I'm really grateful we didn't have any um, significant need for editing because I actually don't know how to edit. So it would have ended up <laughs> the podcast itself anyways. So on that note, thanks everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. It's nice to see everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Great to see you.